She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. You just need to call it for what it is, and the Dems are looking at this as a political fight. They're trying to win the shutdown fight politically, uh, and they're not really getting at what's the best for America's national security. And if they did, talking about what's moral, what's just, what's most consistent with the oath that they take is that they would be negotiating and compromising in good faith. He needs to keep articulating it, make the case, to the public this evening, and uh, we need to get something done on the border. $25 billion was what most Democrats right. agreed to very recently, and we're asking for a little over five. I hope that the president will take a different path. That remains to be seen, but he can expect a strong and swift challenge from all of us and other members of Congress and from the American people. He said, fine, no wall, fence, steel slack, whatever. If we all agree we have to secure the border and we funded it in the past, let's fund it again and move forward. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome back to the program. I'm Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right, Second Amendment Foundation Journalist of the Year for 2018, and I'm the co-chair of Project 21, which is a part of National Center for Public Policy Research. And uh, we are really excited to be a part of their National Advisory Council. And we're excited to have you here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk, listening to the programming here. Welcome home. So I want to go to the phones, and then we'll be getting to hour two. We have a wonderful guest, Karen Strahan. She's been on the program before. She is a spokesperson for Men's Rights Edmonton and contributor to avoiceformen.com. And she's going to come on and talk to us about how the women's marches, you know, the women's marches, the ones that where everybody uses profanity and talks like a sailor, but they're still women. Uh, they've had them canceled all over the country because of racism and anti-Semitism. Apparently, too many white people are participating. Yeah, that, that's crazy town right there. It's, it's the bullet train to crazy town, and anybody who believes that is, is not just on it. You're probably the train conductor. Anyway, let's go to the phones. Uh, Cherie in California, thank you for calling the show today. Um, hi, Stacy. I wanted to say thank you for taking my call and all the work that you do. Thanks. Um, I'm here in California, and I, I just wanted to um, mention how liberals are very good at delivering um, emotional messages that appeal to people and how maybe we need to start um, better being able to manage optics of what our message is. And I was thinking of something like, like a website that showed um, victims who have been victims' families who have been taken by illegal aliens, kind of like the walkaway campaign, but with members going on there and giving their testimony from around the country. Um, it's, it's a good idea. Um, I think the reason, so there are natural gifts for each political party. Uh, Democrats, as you said, are very gifted at storytelling, but they also do the other kind of storytelling, which is lying. So they embellish a lot and they ignore facts that don't support their 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 policy aims. And they're really good at, you know, kind of saying, well, your your data doesn't matter. That's that's what I faced most recently uh, with liberals. When I talk about the let's say the defensive gun use study that showed that guns were used millions, and millions of times, they'll say, well, that study was debunked. Well, it wasn't. It was not debunked at all. 
Uh, it was supported by additional data and additional resources that were used to verify the study. But they'll just say, well, that's, that was debunked, and then they filibuster. Um, I know when you talk about websites, we've had guests on the program for, that have lost their children or their, you know, their family members to illegal alien crime. And they have organizations with websites and they go on television regularly to talk about their losses. But Democrats don't care. As good as they are at telling stories, they're also good at not caring about what has happened to other people unless you're in one of their favored groups. And so Republicans are great at charts and graphs and, um, you know, making money. Um, they're great at, at um, you know, leaving people alone and allowing the free market to kind of, you know, go where it will. And great at running suburban areas and, and places where, you know, there's not a lot of poverty. Um, and mainly that's because the policies that would lift other people out of poverty in inner cities, they don't want to hear anything from the Republicans. So each party has their own natural gifts. I think one of the things that I would just love the Republicans to do is just take off their sweater vests. And you don't have to have the same presentation as Donald Trump, but you could definitely be much stronger and not as, you know, just it's, it's almost like Republicans have blinders on and they think, if I just don't say anything, the Democrats won't see me and then I won't have to deal with them. They can see you and they, they're going to run you over. So stop acting like not looking at them helps. You, you got to fight. I'm tired of sending people to Washington, D.C. that sound pretty ferocious behind the microphone, but when they get there, they're just like lambs, like uh, Susan Murkowski, that picture of her in that little recess in, on Capitol Hill. There's a recessed area of the wall, and she's standing in it, and she can't get out because Diane Feinstein, who is not tall, has her arm reached up to the top of the opening and is basically holding her hostage in that little recess to make sure she doesn't vote with the Republicans on the Kavanaugh nomination. That's an image that's very telling. Democrats don't care if they're tall. They don't care if they're big. They don't care if they, they don't care. They're just meaner than you and they want you to know it. Well, you know, I used to have a saying uh, that, that there's nobody meaner than me. That's what I used to say. <laughs> Thankfully, the Lord has released me. But I used to say it because it was true. And so it, it, you don't have to be tall or short or fat or burly. You don't have to be muscular. It's really whether or not you believe you're the meanest. It's whether or not you believe that you can't be beat. Um, and I'm, I'm not talking about like think it and therefore it is and all that stuff. I'm just talking about confidence in what you believe and where you're coming from that you're not going to let someone else roll you over. You're not going to let it happen because you know you're right. We need some of that bottled and forced into the Republicans that we have currently representing us because very few of them have it. And it's like Trey Gowdy, they can talk a good game. He was absolutely ferocious talk-wise, but he couldn't get anything done. So it's a crazy, stupid, fine combination of things that makes people able to effectively do their jobs. And we have a lot of people in Congress and in the Senate who just, they're wearing Republican uh, you know, name tags and clothing, and they sit with the Republicans in the cr proper section. They don't know from, uh, you know, really wrangling and arguing and also dealing, which is what Quinn Hillier was discussing earlier when, when he was on the program. Um, so right now, I want to get to some more of this content that I was able to find. And this is super important. First, we're going to listen to this little bit of audio. It's Ann Coulter. She's talking about what President Trump has to do um, in order to get through to the American people tonight, he has to say some things. He has to do some things. It's number five. 
you can't have any amnesty. You can't amnesty nuclear scientists. No amnesty. That's the most important point. And I think the, the, the second important thing he needs to do, and I think he's great at this, by the way, um, it's not like we're asking Trump to do something outside of his wheelhouse. Um, he, he can be very presidential. He can have a lot of gravitas, despite what you constantly hear on TV. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't demonstrate it often. Um, but I always tell people to go back and look at his introduction of Brett Kavanaugh as the Supreme Court nominee. He was more presidential than anyone since Reagan in that. It was, it was, it was sort of a different and very impressive Trump. When he wants to, he can. The objective of this speech, and I thought the objective of this speech from the beginning, right after the election, was that he should say something like, um, you know, you say a lot of wild things on the campaign trail. I'm speaking to big rallies, but I want to talk to America about a serious problem that is affecting the least among us, the working class, blue collar workers, people who depend on government services, parents whose kids are addicted to heroin. Um, this is a comp- and, and the, the illegal aliens themselves being dragged by coyotes and and Mexican drug cartels through through dangerous pathways in the desert. Desert, kids dying, women being raped. We have to we have to turn off the magnet. Um, that is the humanitarian solution. And she's right. And I, I just want to I had to piggyback off something that she just said. She said that she thought he would make this address about the border after he became the president. And he would, you know, kind of say, look, on the campaign trail, we all you know, we all we all wax a little poetic and we all get a little bombastic and maybe the vitriol flowed a little bit because we were in the heat of battle over the nomination and then over the actual presidency. But now that I'm the president of every American, you know, I, we, we have a reckoning that we need to come to. And that is that I've said true things about what's going on at the border. The government statistics support it. And I'm here to fix that problem. That's why Americans sent me to the wash to the white house. And so I agree with her there, but I would go a step further. There is nothing quite as sweet and special and like clear the deck. Uh, you've heard people say it before. If you, sometimes you think if I could just get with that person and clear the deck, you know, if someone, if you're having a contentious situation with someone, if you want to clear the deck, the fastest way to clear it, I mean, completely wipe it clean is to simply apologize. And so it's not a, I'm sorry if that offended you. It's a, you know, I'm the president of the United States. I'm the president of every American and I want to apologize for comments that I made in the heat of battle when going for the presidential nomination that placed certain Americans on edge, that were, that were uneasy, that were insulting, and maybe were taken out of context by the media. It, it, it doesn't matter how it hurt people. I don't want that to be the situation on this issue with immigration. We have to deal with the facts. So I'm apologizing because I want to clear the deck and I want to move forward together as a nation. There are some people you can apologize to them till the cows come home. You can offer the roses, the, 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 you know, the chocolates, the, the fruit dipped in chocolate, the berries, Sherry's berries. You can do whatever you want and they'll never, ever accept your apology. But for most human beings, when they hear the word, I'm sorry, and they feel sincerity behind it, the deck is cleared. And at that moment, you never have more opportunity to have them hear you than whatever you say right after you say, I'm sorry. And so I'm not big into like 
let's do a fake apology because that'll clear the deck and then we'll be able to say whatever we want. I'm not I'm not advocating for that. I'm talking about President Trump really being concerned that the media twisted his comments. They actually went out and out and out lied about what he said about, um, you know, the, the, the southern border problem and the crime. And some of what he said, while it was true, it was said in a very direct manner which is often what people are responding to, not the actual information, but the delivery. And so an apology for that and a clearing of the deck where he could then could say, when I made those statements, here's what I was talking about. Government statistics from this agency and this agency and this agency that show that this many Americans have been killed due to this, that our drunk driving uh, you know, deaths have gone up by 10% due st- strictly to illegal immigrants driving drunk. And he could go down the list of all the things that he's concerned about that millions of Americans are concerned about that are the reason why he cannot let go of this this issue. And then as was said here in Joel Pollack's article about how you, you know, so this is why we're not giving up on the wall. This is why government doesn't open back up until we get the wall. This is why I'm so focused on the wall. And then the other thing that I think that has to be something that the president is willing to discuss is that he has to be willing to say, you know, I've made every offer that I possibly could to the Democrats. I offered to basically obliterate my chances of being reelected in 2020 by giving amnesty to all of the DACA recipients, even the one million who never applied. One million DACA-eligible illegal aliens who are so in love with being in America and so, you know, you ain't taking me out of America that they didn't even bother to apply for DACA. They just let the deadline slide by because they don't care if they're here legally. And he made an offer to legalize them all, not with work permits, but with a straight up welcome to America. You get to vote, et cetera, et cetera. And the Democrats still didn't take it. That is the one statement that I think a lot of Americans, it missed that they missed it. That whole negotiation, the CNN and the MSNBC and all the the talking heads, they completely glossed over that because they know it's a terrible look for the Democrats who ran on legalizing DACA recipients. The Dreamers this, the Dreamers that. When's the last time you heard a Democrat say something about the Dreamers? You're not going to because they don't care about the Dreamers, really. They just care about having an issue with which to bludgeon the Republicans and make people on the right look like murderous xenophobic thugs and we know that's not who we are and they know it too when we get back we're going to be having more discussion um stay right there stacy on the right when a woman in crisis walks into a pre-born center she's choosing between life and death well when i found out i was pregnant uh I was actually freaking out because I didn't know if I wanted to keep it or get an abortion. And I didn't want to believe the test, so then I ended up going to the pregnancy center. After seeing her baby on ultrasound, this young mom chose life. I seen her feet and her hands. Preborn stands in the gap for women in crisis to show them love and compassion and their beautiful unborn baby. Would you take a stand for life by sponsoring five ultrasounds for only $140? All gifts are tax deductible, and you'll receive a picture and story of babies whose lives were spared. 
To donate, dial 877-616-2396. That's 877-616-2396. Or visit AFR.net. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Yesterday, I talked about how big the federal government has grown. It is an order of magnitude larger than the largest Fortune 500 companies. But there is a second problem that makes this first problem even worse. Many of the people that are supposed to manage this organization have never been confirmed and placed in those positions. The U.S. Senate has confirmed less than half of the positions in four federal government cabinets. Those would be the Justice Department, the Department of Transportation, the Department of the Interior, and the Environmental Protection Agency. But that's not all. Barely half of the positions in four other government cabinets haven't been confirmed. Those would be the State Department, the Labor Department, the Treasury Department, and Housing and Urban Development. Employees in these departments are placeholders waiting to be replaced by qualified individuals who have yet to be confirmed by the Senate. In some cases, some have left, and there's an empty desk or office waiting to be filled. By the way, I think this story provides a good illustration of media bias. I suspect most of you are hearing about this for the first time. Imagine how much media coverage would be given if after nearly two years in the Obama administration, half of the positions in major departments were still not filled. Of course, we also have to add to this list the fact that President Trump lacks a chief of staff, an attorney general, and a secretary of defense. Again, there are placeholders, but no one in the job with full authority. Guests on my radio program have said that the current situation is unacceptable. That is true, but it isn't all that unusual. We have a government that is too big, often poorly managed, and with many positions waiting to be filled. This is no way to run a government. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Oh, so disgusting. It was horrible. Neil, no one should approve of that. And I hope she doesn't talk to her son that way either. But, uh, you know, uh, what can you say? I, I, I can't anyway uh, condone that. It's not how we act in West Virginia. It's not how we talked about public leaders. We might disagree with each other, but we try to get through it. We try to find a pathway forward it were you know to act like that uh, just awful and to speak like that is even more deplorable i am so sorry i want to apologize to all americans any any setting congress person there's 535 of us there 100 senators and 435 congress people we should have better manners than that i assure you wow so that is pretty outstanding of senator democrat senator joe manchin apologizing for tlaib's a uh, horrible, profane attack on the president. And, uh, you know, she's not apologizing, but she's just, you know, she's from that part of town that you don't go to at night. That's, that's, that's what the thing is. And that's what that language indicates to me. And so we, we don't, you know, what do you do? Well, you have to ignore a person, but she's out there. And for people who want to automatically, oh, well, President Trump said, yeah, you know what? Two wrongs don't make a right. Don't start. Don't, and, and then I won't have to go in on you because if you if that's the simplistic methodology that you apply to seeing someone do something wrong, then we can't even talk. So, so don't bother. I'm, I don't need to talk to you about this. Now, in addition to that, do you remember last Friday? Uh, you probably did a whole bunch of different things. You even listened to the show. I know I was here. Uh, but there was also a jobs report that came out 
well over 300,000 new jobs created in December. So you might be thinking, um, I didn't hear. I didn't hear anything about it. Well, that's because it was such a blowout, such an amazing jobs report in the face of, you know, titans on Wall Street trying to tank the stock market in December because they didn't like the president doing a great job. They don't like all that economic prosperity running around because it makes people think, you know, these Republicans might have something up their sleeve. No, they don't want that. So they're like, well, we got to, we got to, you know, we got to turn this thing around. The Fed chair comes out and says he's going to be, you know, just sending interest rates up through the roof because the economy's growing too fast, whatever that means. So you got all that going on. Meanwhile, the Trump economy over 300,000 new jobs in one month. First of all, to God be the glory. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for that amazing report. Because Trump didn't do it. He made conditions conducive to that action happening in this country. But there's something else driving that. And so World News Tonight gave 22, that's 2-2, 22 seconds of coverage to this blowout jobs report. World News Tonight, the place you go to watch news about the economy, they gave 22 seconds to it. Let's listen because we certainly need to memorialize it here on this show so it can go in the podcast. It's number three. There was encouraging news on the economy today, helping the fluctuating stock market. 312,000 new jobs were created in December, the biggest gain in 10 months. Wages were up two, up 3.2%, in fact, from a year ago. And the Federal Reserve Chairman indicating that interest rates may not rise in 2019 as quickly as expected. Stocks soaring on the news, the Dow recovering from yesterday's steep dive, gaining 746 points. So when the Dow lost a thousand points, they were like, apocalypse now, the world is ending. There will be no more America. And it's Donald Trump's fault, his rhetoric and his trade war. For his trade war to be this horrifying, to be this awful. Remember, they said the sky would fall down and we would all be crushed underneath it. Yet here we still are. And American companies are creating a lot of new jobs. I think it's interesting because something is afoot. But what? What is causing this? It's just like it's the engine is roaring. The, the, the American entrepreneur and business owners, people are just, they're like, come on, we need more people hired here. And I've begun to notice a lot more businesses with a sign out saying, inquire within, you know, looking, hiring, help wanted. That's interesting because people keep saying that the tax cuts were crumbs and they're only going to hurt Americans and that there's no way people are going to you know, be able to take advantage of this. Yet the other argument is that we, we need lots more illegal immigrants because they're willing to do the jobs that Americans aren't willing to do, which implies that there are more jobs than there are people willing to take them. You see how that works? When you apply facts to the liberalism, it just does not add up. Either there are no jobs and we're in economic malaise or there are lots of jobs, so many so that we need illegal immigrants to fill them, which that's that's a ball faced lie. Americans can fill those jobs and lawful immigrants can fill those jobs. Illegal immigrants should not be here filling jobs. So that's good news. You got, you know, world news tonight, 22 scant seconds, but they did at least mention it. So now I want to pivot over to impeachment. Now, you know, Alan Dershowitz, who he says he's still a Democrat. He voted for Hillary. He wants he says he wants tax reform. I don't know what he's talking about. We already had tax reform and it's killing it. But he says, speaking of impeachment, that the Democrats are going to find themselves in the same place the Republicans found themselves in after impeaching Bill Clinton. Very unpopular decision. 
And he says it's not going to work. The Dems will never remove Trump. It's number four. Well, you know, I'm a liberal Democrat. I campaigned hard for Hillary Clinton. I campaigned hard for the Democrats to take over the House. I'm thrilled that the Democrats have taken over the House. Now there's a check and balance on our president. But for the Democrats to fritter their power away on impeaching the president, it's not going to work. They're not going to ever remove him. The Republicans control the Senate. He hasn't satisfied the constitutional criteria for impeachment. What we want the Democrats to do is get us tax reform, health reform, immigration reform, all the policies that the Democrats have run on and won on. But if they spend their energy and time listening to Maxine Waters, who says he not only wants to impeach the president, but the vice president as well, it will be utterly a waste of time. It will backfire the way it backfired when they impeached Clinton. When they impeached Bill Clinton, he wasn't removed, and the Democrats benefited from that. And so one of the things that we have to... It's not, it's not just one thing. It's, it's a bunch uh, of things that we have to be praying for. But let's, let's, let's take it down in order. First of all, we have to pray that the spirit of John McCain is gone for good and that we would see uh, the, the Senate stand up to the Democrats. They can impeach all they want, but when they bring that, those articles of impeachment to the Senate, that it gets stopped right there, which then ensures that Anyone whose heart is growing cold against the president, anyone who's really their, their, their signature issue was the repeal of Obamacare. They know it's not happening now and they're really ticked off about it and they're not going to vote for Trump again. That those people would be brought back over and that they would be voting for Donald Trump. Because if the Democrats impeach President Trump, he will sail into 2020. That's how it works. Um, Nancy Pelosi knows she has a very it's a balancing act. Because if she goes straight for impeachment and shows herself to be just someone who doesn't care anything about policy or, or doing her job, then Americans will be ready to punish the House, the Democrats, the House controlled by the Democrats, by giving it back to the Republicans when 2020 rolls around. So, I mean, there's the, the, it's a game. It's clearly it's a game. But they're going to be working ever so hard on trying to find a balance where they can get enough of what they want which is to make President Trump's life a living inferno. They're going to work on doing that while trying to balance themselves out enough to look as if they're doing a little something to tap dance around some kind of work so that they can end up keeping the House in 2020. They want to do that. They also want to win the presidency. They want to make President Trump a one-term president. And uh, anything's possible, right? Anything's possible for them to do. It doesn't mean it will happen. It means anything is possible. So I mentioned also the national emergency to build the wall. So this is important information. Uh, Mark Levin actually wrote a Facebook note, and he was writing it to refute a tweet that was sent out by Peter Weiner. Peter Weiner is a never-Trumper, and he says that President Trump cannot declare a national emergency to build a wall. Now, first of all, let's just use our our common sense thinking caps for a second. The president absolutely has the right to do it. But why would the Democrats allow Americans to think the president has the right? If they did that, they've lost on the issue. So they have to spread it around to enough media outlets and enough places to get enough Americans to think that it would be an unlawful action to justify them filing suit in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals to get an injunction placed on building the wall. Then, once that's done, 
it has to wind its way up to the Supreme Court. And unless the uh, Trump administration, their lawyers and attorneys can get the Supreme Court to hear the case first and make an emergency ruling, then it means it's tied up waiting on the docket for the Supreme Court for months and months and months. And the Democrats went on the issue. So here's what Mark Levin said about it. He says never Trumpers get dumber by the minute. And he refers to something called the National Emergencies Act of 1976, which allows the president to trigger emergency powers conferred on him, not by Mark Levin or any other person, but by Congress. Again, the National Emergencies Act of 1976 allows the president to trigger emergency powers conferred on him by Congress. It has been in place in various forms for more than 150 years. The president could actually, under this National Emergencies Act, confiscate private businesses. I mean, this is, this is crazy pants. <laughs> but he's not going to do the confiscation of businesses. It would permit him to build a border barrier of some kind. The reason it would allow it is because defending the border is a uniquely federal government responsibility. It's remanded to the federal government, not the states. He could use the law to undertake such a project. It would be challenged in the courts. It could be overturned by a joint resolution of Congress. And he would need to make, the president would, under the statute, he'd need to make his case. It's an easy case to make, don't you agree? Southern border is a national emergency when it's wide open. Um, there's chaos there, sexual trafficking, human trafficking. There's, there's all kinds of horrible ills going on down there. I, I believe he could make the case easily to the Supreme Court. He could use the legitimate legal tools available to him to try to solve those problems. But unlike Obama, he would not be legislating by, say, creating like something like DACA, which is absolutely illegal and unconstitutional. And it violates the separation of powers. Yet some nincompoop judge on the liberal side actually validated it. And it's going to come up before the Supreme Court, and I think it's going to get struck down. They've already ruled on DACA and said it's unconstitutional. But anyway, so Congress set up this process. It's not a misuse of, of constitutional authority. It's about statutory interpretation. And I can tell you, um, over at Right Scoop, he says, if Obama declared a national emergency to build a wall on the southern border the left would have loved it. Well, he says he would have loved it. Um, and I think the left would have too because they just followed the wind. Which, whichever way Obama told them to go, they followed it. They were just fine with it. Um, but it is the purview of the federal government to defend the border. And anyone who says that the president is not the commander in chief and doesn't have the legal authority to say, these people can't come into the country for six months, which he did with what they call the Muslim ban, which was really a moratorium on immigration and refugees from certain countries for a certain amount of time until they could get their vetting procedures up and running. But instead of calling it that, they had to demonize President Trump. And so we've got people running around like I recently had someone say to me, like his racist Muslim ban. There was no Muslim ban. There are 49 Muslim nations on this planet, and he only banned six nations from sending refugees here for a period of time until they could get their standards up. You guys remember the brouhaha around that? President Trump hates Muslims. He's having a Muslim ban. Then what are all the other Muslims coming in here from other countries? Why didn't he ban them? 
It's not like we only have four or five countries where Muslims come here from. They're coming here from every which way but loose. We have the largest concentration of Muslims outside of an actual majority Muslim nation than anywhere else in the world. Same thing with um, Sudanese people. The only place you can go to find more Sudanese people than America is Sudan. Let that sink into you for a minute. We don't have nearly the landmass to basically be the go-to point for the, so the secondary point of, of uh, like gathering for every people group on the planet. So if you're not in Japan, the second largest place to go to find Japanese people, America. You know, I mean, if you're not in China, second place you can go to to find the most Chinese people, America. What, what are we doing? It, do we want it to remain America? People keep acting like this is a Mexican thing or a south of the border thing. It's a, hey, you're not a natural born American citizen thing for me. And I know it's unpopular to say because people get all in their feelings and they're like, well, if I say that, people will think I'm xenophobic. So I automatically have to not say that and also think that she's some kind of like crazy person for saying it. I'm not a crazy person and neither are you for thinking it. Go ahead and Get your emotions out of it and just think, how long does America remain America if we keep bringing in people faster than we can assimilate them? We have to first turn an immigrant into an American, and we have to do that successfully so they've bought into the experiment and they want to voluntarily obey our laws and participate in our governmental processes and in our society and then bring in the next batch. We can't just be piling them in so fast that they create Little Sudan here in America. I mean, you know, it was all the rage. It was little Italy and little this and that. Okay, wonderful. Chinatown, fantastic. But do we need that everywhere? Do we want to literally change America from America to little this nation, little that nation, and, you know, no-go zones and places where you don't feel comfortable because it's nothing like America and it's definitely not a tourist spot? I mean, these places that are kind of stood up in, in Michigan and places like that where the People who practice Islam have piled in and, and they're in a, you know, mass of people living in neighborhoods and taking over entire areas. It's not friendly. It's not like you can just roll through there with your, you know, your permanently tan self and just, you know, pull up to whatever restaurant and just get your food order on and go on about your business. It's not friendly to outsiders. That's not America. Or at least when it was America. That was back when we had segregation, and we know how much we all hated that. We'll talk about more when we get back. We're going to have our guests as well. Stay right there. This is just a minute with Stacey Washington. In 1 Samuel 21, we see David fleeing from King Saul. David uses every trick in the book to preserve his own life, from eating the priest's holy showbread to lying about why he is in the vicinity. At one point, David pretends to be insane, thinking that doing so will prevent angry servants from killing him. Emulating these deceptions are not the point of David's story. Being in fear for his life made him do things he would not normally do. But the story doesn't end there. David wrote Psalm 34 during this difficult time, singing, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. This is a beautiful way of describing the true nature of walking with God. 
In the low times when all have forsaken you, continue to bless the Lord. I'm Stacy Washington. Find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com. Hi, this is Steve Tiber with 8 Days of Hope. We've been all over the country helping disaster victims who lose everything. It's truly a blessing. I really don't have the words to express. And yet they see a glimmer of hope when a volunteer shows up. Building the home, that's the second reason we're here. The number one reason is to share the gospel and, and give them hope. It's everything that's right in America. I mean, it really represents the, the best that we have to offer. That's one of the main reasons for doing it, is being able to be the hands and feet of Jesus and coming out and working with so many wonderful volunteers. I just feel like it's important in this day and age to teach a child uh, how to serve. Please go to our website, 8daysofhope.com, and click on Get Involved. Submit your email address, and the next time we go anywhere with a disaster, we'll invite you to come along as well. I love coming in the job room because you can see these pieces of paper, they aren't just a piece of paper. Right. It's a family that's hurting, and it's a gospel opportunity. You know, I just thank God, you know, for this moment. I mean, I'll be back in my home, and I know it's going to be awesome. Come love others with 8 Days of Hope. America's talking to Fox News. Thousands of federal workers are affected by the partial government shutdown. Some are furloughed. Others, like federal prison guards and air traffic controllers, are working without pay. We wanted to know, how do they feel? This is the third shutdown in five years, and each time we were required to report to work. We shouldn't be held hostage because Washington can't come to an agreement. When you leave, when you're in the break room or when you leave work and you go home, you're thinking about that. You know, we don't want it to be a distraction. Uh, we are aviation professionals and uh, we operate that way, but it's not sustainable. Border wall, fine, not a problem. I mean, they do it, they don't. All I want to do is make sure that the people in my family, the people I love, the people I know are taken care of. We still have to come to work and do our job. We still have to protect the community. We still have to protect the inmates and the staff that, that are in this institution, and we're not getting paid. We're your friends and neighbors. We're being told to come to work. We don't know when we're going to be paid. You know, our, our professionals remain on the job. They, they continue to come to work. America's talking to Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for being here today. It's my pleasure to be with you. I also want to, one more time, just remind you, if you're just tuning in, we are partnering with Preborn this week, and we are excited about having you Share in this ministry with us by providing a gift of $28 to give a free ultrasound in the gospel to an abortion-minded mom to save the life of that unborn baby and to guide that young woman into parenthood and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is 877-616-2396, the call line for you, 877-616-2396, or go to AFR.net and partner with us. We are so excited about our next guest. We have Karen Strahan, spokesperson for Men's Rights Edmonton, a contributor to avoiceformen.com. Karen, thanks for joining in today. Thank you for having me. All right, so let's talk about this. You got the women's marches, and those are supposed to be multicultural, diverse, you know, just um, the epitome of everything that people are pointing to when it comes to, you know, women's intersectionality. Diversity, yeah. And yeah. Inclusivity. Yes. Yes. There yes. You, you, you know, the buzzwords I'm, I always, I'm always at a loss because I just, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I read this stuff all day long and uh, so I know the jargon. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's terrible um, because it doesn't mean anything, but I, I just, I'm surprised that the simple 
fact that more white people have showed up than minority people means you have to cancel it. Um, yeah, that's, that was in Eureka, California, where I think the uh, city is 75% white and the county itself is something like 85% white. So you're looking at, uh, you're, you're going to have a predominance of whites showing up at something like this. And also, you know, I would say, um, you know, when it comes to having the, you know, a weekend day off or, or whatever, um, you, there are probably going to be a, a higher percentage of minorities who are working uh, jobs like at Walmart or, or wherever, where they, they maybe aren't even going to be able to take the day off to do something like that. So essentially, I think um, just being upset about something like it's too white is, is ridiculous. Um, I'm, I'm more interested in the, the uh, cancellations over the national leadership's you know, close, friendly, chummy ties with, um, with the Nation of Islam and uh, with Louis Farrakhan. Um, particularly given some of his anti-Semitic remarks that uh, that were recorded when he was addressing a national audience or an audience of national members, um, you know, and the fact that it took the Women's March national leadership a month to disavow what he said. Um, that's kind of interesting. I mean, the whole thing just seems to be falling apart. Um, and there's so many different uh, little stories within all of, all of this, Sort of coming crashing down. Um, there was, uh, oh, uh, I remember her last name, Rubel. I think her first name was Vanessa. She used to be on the leadership of the national uh, chapter, and uh, she was squeezed out because she wouldn't con- she wouldn't properly confront the Jews' special place in the history of the oppression of black people. Uh, she did not do this to the satisfaction of of uh, Tamika Mallory and some of the other black members. So. Uh, you know, the whole thing, and it is the intersectionality dogma and the, the inclusivity dogma that's doing it, because the set of theories behind those two very benign words, everybody knows that you you sometimes can be discriminated against because you're black, or you can sometimes be discriminated against because you're a woman, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's because you're a black woman. Everybody knows that, right? And that's what intersectionality is, and, and the diversity and inclusivity thing uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with a diverse crowd, and there's nothing wrong with being, you know, including everyone. But the uh, the set of theories behind those uh, little catchphrases uh, is extremely uh, divisive, and and that's sort of a, a recipe for ex- exactly what's happening now, where you get these little turf wars going on uh, within the leadership, within the chapters. Uh, you know, uh, are we being inclusive enough? You know, you're you're marginalizing these voices and those voices, and these are the already marginalized voices, so they need to be put up front and given the microphone first, and all of this stuff. So just it just turns into backbiting and and a balkanization of of the entire uh, endeavor. So I predicted this. So you know. Well, I th- I think it's funny because it's um it shows the hierarchy that the Democrats have. The hierarchy yeah. means that some some of the animals are more important. They're more equal than others. And then the yeah. ones that aren't as equal, they just have to wait for their turn to come out and get a chance for a little bit of equalization. But in any case, everyone has to kowtow to what they've been told the rules are. And if they don't, then they're liable to be branded enemies. And, and I want to be perfectly clear here. There's some tongue-in-cheek to what I'm saying, because I don't believe 
that the the animal should have to go through this kind of drama. Like it, it's 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 ridiculous. We're talking about people it, here, and if they want to get together and have a march, they should just do it without getting the approval of their overlords. Oh wait, they're not allowed to do that. Well, certainly women have enough in common with each other um, that we should all be able to say, okay, so we we there are some things we all agree on. There are some things that we don't, right? It, nobody wants women to become enslaved. No woman wants women to become enslaved. No one wants women to be beaten or, or raped or, or anything like that. Nobody wants those things to happen, right? Fine, we can agree on all of that, right? But then, you know, uh, if you if you don't agree that the, that the wage gap is, is a really, really real thing, um, and and that it's based on if, if you believe if you don't believe that it's based on discrimination if you believe that it's based on other factors like women having the freedom to choose what they want to do with their lives right then you go stand in the corner and heaven forfend uh, you're pro life because you're out the door right that's sec- the second that, that they find out because you know it's so it's it's a very it, it's not about women it's about a certain political um, ideology. And uh, and that political ideology seems to have a really neat habit of of eating itself, so mm. which is probably uh, the only reason why we're not all living it under it right now. Um, well, I'm so, I'm glad I'm glad that it's not working. Yeah. But I I feel kind of bad for people who legitimately so for whatever the cause that you're you're interested in make improving upon, and you're legitimately looking to a group like say the Women's March to help you you know, get the word out or mobilize other women, et cetera, et cetera. And in the end, you're kind of laying down with, you know, dogs and then getting up with fleas in a state of shock. The reason that their (laughs) movements don't work is because you mentioned anti-Semitism. A number of the leadership of the Women's March are really heavily involved with individuals who are openly anti-Semitic, like Louis Farrakhan. They're not yeah. openly friendly with him by accident. It's not like when you, you're standing in line at the grocery store and you strike up a conversation with a person in front of you and then later you find out that person is anti-Semitic. Well, you've only spent five minutes with them at the grocery store. You're not in league with them. That is not the relationship yeah. between the Women's March leaders and, and Louis Farrakhan. They love him. Linda Sarsour thinks yeah. he's amazing because she hates Israel. She's a BDS movement proponent. She's anti-Semitic. It's not an accident that she's friends with him. That other one either, Tamika, whatever her name is, Mallory, she's not accidentally buddies with Louis Farrakhan. You don't accidentally become buddies with Louis Farrakhan. You know he's an anti-Semite. You are friends with him if you are one too. Exactly. You know, like it's it's pretty difficult to uh, to interpret. You know, I'm not an, I'm not anti-Semite. I'm anti-termite. You know, because the Jews apparently to him are termites. It's pretty hard to to interpret that in a positive way. I mean, I guess he could have been commenting on termites' industriousness and incredible ability to cooperate with each other, but um, but I don't think so. And uh, so essentially. What you're looking at is is this uh, is a lot of there's a lot of picking and choosing going on in this in this bizarre intersectional hierarchy of victimhood, right? And so the Jews are no longer the, the biggest victims on the block. The Holocaust mm-hmm. seven Neither years ago for crying out loud, mm-hmm. you know, it's ancient history. Now they own everything, right? So this is this is I'm not saying this. I'm just interpreting what their reasoning is. I'm just trying to guess at what their reasoning is, because I don't feel that way. But, um, 
but essentially what you have is is so they're they're down at the bottom of the high the progressive stack, and it's the Muslims who are up at the top, and so they can get away with anything, um, and uh, and they are never to be criticized, uh, not even when they need to be criticized. So, um, so essentially, you're looking at uh, the Islamic agenda, particularly through Tamika Mallory and and Linda Sarsour. Uh, is taking over, and anti-Semitism is just fine. It's just fine in that national leadership uh, because uh, the Jews are no longer um, the, the number one victims out there. Um, that's now the uh, the Muslims. It is, and and also illegal aliens. Uh, however, that oh, yeah. mix will work. So, what I had this diagram, and I have no idea what I did with it, but I will have to break it back out if I can locate it, um, where it showed the hierarchy of so, you know, some, if something's racist, but it depends on who says it, if it's racist or not. If a Republican says it, racist. If a Democrat says it, not racist. And you follow it, the, the, the diagram on down, and you can see how the same sentence is not racist depending on who says it. And it points to, again, the hierarchy that you're talking about, Karen, where so some of the animals are more equal than others. And it used to be unions blacks or minorities, period, not just blacks, but minorities. So unions, minorities, and somewhat of women, but it wasn't really like a a woman focused thing. It was just women need reproductive rights and, you know, that whole thing. Now the Democrats have moved to a new area where, you know, Jews were considered a minority. So Jewish people could say, well, the Democrats want to protect my right to, you know, be, be in this country. They, they believe that I have the right to be protected from Muslim aggression if I'm in Israel, you know, and they believe that Israel is our ally. Well, they've morphed from there. They're so far away from there that most of the yeah. younger Democrats don't recognize that kind of conversation coming from older Jewish people or older people who are Democrats who still believe that. Like there's a huge schism there. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, now, now the uh, American Jews, at least, are white equivalent. So uh, they they don't get any special favors, um, and uh, they don't get any special consideration. And in fact, they've just been lumped in. You know, um, it's as if uh, the the body of white America re- reached out a pseudopod and and absorbed like an amoeba absorbed all of those Jews and pulled them in. And now they are, they are us now they are among the body of oppressors. And, uh, it's, it's really such a divisive and, uh, it's an antagonistic, uh, it's a conflict. It's literally called conflict theory. It's a conflict driven model. It, it, it posits that, um, that in, when you have two classes of people, those classes will, they're, fundamental relationship is one of conflict, not one of cooperation, not one of tolerance, not one of tit-for-tat exchange, um, you know, fair trade, anything like that, or, or even just ignoring each other. Uh, no, they are in conflict, and their interests are in conflict, and, uh, and one of them is subordinate, and one of them is uh, in the position of oppressor. So that, that's really how they examine everything. I mean, this is what's taught in women's studies and black studies and and uh, most other uh, courses and programs that end with the word studies um, that, that have been coined uh, gr- as grievance studies. Um, so when you're looking at that being the only sociological model through which these kids in university are being taught to view society and view human, the way humans interact in it, of course they're going to come out with this highly combative, highly divisive, 
We're going to chop you, everybody up into their uh, representative identities. And, and then now you're all pitted against each other for your fair share of the pie, some of which should get more than others because they've historically been denied as much pie as, as those guys over there. So mm. it, it's just it's absolutely, um, it, it's, it's a destructive ideology. And it hopefully is. it's self-destructive enough to, to destruct itself. <laughs> I, I hope so. Thank you so much for joining the show today and, and for your work at avoiceformen.com. It's avoiceformen.com. Karen Strahan, spokesperson for Men's Rights Edmonton, avoiceformen.com. Thank you for joining the show today. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Happy New Year. Um, I would just say, you know, she makes the excellent points about the victimology and the victimhood and all of that. And it's just, just not for me, not for any, not for Karen, not for any other person, but for yourself. If you find yourself, if you, if you're, you know, working in activism or you have something that you're working on a cause, uh, anything, and you begin to understand that certain parts of the movement are of more import than others, that everyone's not equal, that all of the concerns aren't equally brought to the fore, then you're in the wrong movement. If you're sitting there and you're feeling like, well, I mean, I'm totally a victim and we need to work on my problem, except when we're working on the problems of the Palestinians because they're far more equal than me, you're in the wrong movement. Get you someone who cares about you the way the Democrats care about power. That's what I got to (laughs) say. All right. You be blessed this evening. Fantastic night to you. Be back with you tomorrow. Let's pray for the president until his address this evening and let's watch. I'll be online a little bit while I'm watching. God bless from the heartland. Good evening, citizens.